This is Darker Days Radio, episode number 61. I'm, of course, one of your hosts, Mike. And you know what? I have a confession to make. Chris, Chig, mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's almost the end of 2014. And uh, I don't think I've played one World of Darkness game session this entire year. <laughs> uh, don't worry. I think that's the same for me as well. This year has been a bit more hectic. And hard to get people organized, so you know. Wait, 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 wait! Didn't you run? Um, the, oh, I know. No, 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 not not you, Mike. Mike, didn't didn't you run uh, at least one uh, Tremere Chronicles? Does that not count? Was that not this year? No, that was last year. What? <laughs> <laughs> Chig, time flies. Time flies. Yeah, that was uh, that was basically when we were starting up season five, and Chig, oh we're on gosh. season six of Darker Days oh. Radio. What? When did so, that happen? Oh man, I know it's been uh, it's been a crazy year, but uh, yeah, I do actually have a, sh- a game to run in the docket because uh, uh, Peter Marshall, um, you know, our Australian correspondent and uh, two timer on the Midnight Express podcast for Classic World of Darkness games, challenged me to run Demon Hunter X, and I'm totally gonna do it i've got a great idea for a game it might be based off of sailor moon it's gonna be awesome (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah but uh yeah i don't know i just kind of realized that not too long ago that i haven't run or played in a world of darkness game this year so i really need to uh to get on that maybe that's gonna be my new year's resolution to uh play a lot more world of darkness this year i was trying to think what games have we played this year uh, that's pretty easy i mean you did that three by three rpg thing on uh google plus uh so i personally in 2014 i played iron kingdoms obviously because chris you yeah. ran that uh, i've been playing a lot of dungeons and dragons um mm-hmm. fifth edition which is pretty rad played some shadow run uh i don't know what happened to that group I need to go give these guys a call and gals. We played some Cthulhu Tech. Oh, I ran Cthulhu Tech. Yes. <laughs> oh, that that game. That mm. game needs some work. I don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, Chris, Chris, what's what's your gaming been like in uh, the year of 2014? Uh, well, I mean, we oh, obviously uh, at the start of the year, my Iron Kingdoms group kind of fell apart because when the players left so and then everyone just got really busy and that's been the main uh main barrier to just doing some role playing so obviously there's online stuff that i i we've done um so yeah running iron kingdoms miniatureless is was insightful um i think uh cthulhu tech is always interesting um but of course for me gaming wise um I've just been doing a lot of miniature stuff because, you know, when you can't organize a whole group of people to play, getting just one other person to turn up and doing some miniature gaming is quite easy. Um, so gaming-wise, being War Machine hordes and uh, playing hybrid a lot, uh, which 
I put up my review video and um, and gameplay video of um, which uh, which was interesting considering when I rewatched that video I kicked myself for uh, for my stupid move which meant I actually lost the uh, lost that mission so but it's been good I've been looking into some other stuff so um, obviously we did our darkling on uh, on Warhammer. And of course, we're like, oh yeah, Mordheim. Mordheim's great. And I'm just like, I'd love to play Mordheim, but do I really want to buy a lot of Games Workshop miniatures right now? Nah. And I've been looking into Dogs of War, which is a expansion to Confrontation, which allows you to do little mercenary war bands that gain experience. And you can you can pick and choose models from the entire range of a particular army. So you can have magic users, you can have you know, you can you can pick you're not you, there aren't as many limitations except that you can't have named characters and and so forth from the game. So um I'm looking forward to trying to trying that out and seeing how it plays, but that's pretty much it right now. Obviously roleplay wise, uh, I'm trying to get uh, a session of uh, Fading Suns going. Uh, just so I can actually really play about with the new system. If that fails, I might run it as an online game, and we'll see how we go with that. Awesome, awesome, Chig, Chig, you, you got you got to save us. You got to make us look better. How much RPGing <laughs> did you do in 2014? Um, I have a weekly session. <laughs> we we've played The Strange. We've played. Um, uh, werewolf the apocalypse we've played uh several versions of fate core we played uh that game that fasa put out that i didn't care for um i know that doesn't narrow it down <laughs> yeah do, uh, which one are you talking about are you talking about a shadow run that you don't dig or uh it was it was cosmic patrol right no 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 what was, nope. their, what was their fantasy prehistoric shadow run Oh, oh Earth, Earth Dawn. Earth Dawn. Yeah, yeah. Played some of that. Uh, played some 4th Edition earlier in the year. Confirmed that I didn't particularly care for it. Have yet to play 5th Edition D&D, although it is all the rage. It's it's pretty good, Chig. Um, it's like... Uh, it's streamlined, similar to the 3rd... Well, 3rd Edition it's had not, a lot of problems when we got down to it. It's, it's, not that I, it's not that I haven't played it because I don't want to play it, or that I don't think it'll be good it's that i just haven't had the chance yet to play it oh okay all right hasn't hasn't come up although i am next in rotation to uh, run a game for the group but i think i'm going to be doing some uh star wars star wars d6 or star wars age of rebellion um either d6 or fate core oh okay whoa so you're gonna just pass up the uh the sweet new fancy flight game yeah yeah i think so okay that's fine i i respect that i respect that nothing against the fantasy flight game but uh but watching star wars rebels has really made me want to uh to play a star wars game and it strikes me very much as a uh a d6 chronicle that somebody adapted for for tv (laughs) so There's a lot of um, there's a really big fan base for Star Wars D6, so a lot of stuff gets converted over. Um, I think they released someone released a kind of unofficial. Oh, I have that. The yeah, the yeah. expanded second edition revised. 
It's et pretty cetera, nice. Et yeah. Yeah. Somebody went to a lot of effort for that. And I appreciate it if you're listening. Thanks. Sweet. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, Chig luckily saved us because he apparently played Werewolf the Apocalypse uh, <laughs> sometime in 2014 and didn't tell us about it. But uh, well, when you know what, Chig, how, how was that Werewolf game? Was it good? Cool? It was good. It was short-lived. Um, I don't think my group is the right group for uh, Werewolf, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it was it was fun. All right, and then, sweet. We, then we moved on to... Um, What's the uh, Numenera after that? Oh, okay. Playing a lot of uh, Monty Cook games over there, aren't you? Just uh, coincidentally, yeah. <laughs> what did not plan it that way. All right, sweet. So with that, uh, let's uh, just hop on over. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the different World of Darkness and Onyx Path news. <laughs> All right, so we haven't done one of these episodes in a while. Uh, I think we missed November, but in December we have two episodes. Uh, as we mentioned, we have that uh, sweet Warhammer Darkling that was just released. So uh, there's probably going to be quite a bit on the uh, Onyx Path website uh, that has come out recently. The Idigam Chronicle Anthology for Werewolf the Forsaken. So this is a uh, short story anthology covering... Uh, new inspirational short stories for the uh, Werewolf 2nd Edition that's going to be coming out very soon. Um, I've not checked it out, but uh, definitely like Werewolf Forsaken, so it could be cool to uh, read some of the new short fiction for it. Mm-hmm. Um, just released has been Book of the Deceived for uh, Mummy the Curse. I have not grabbed a copy, but I will be doing so because I think that will, um, it should really, you know, deepen the setting and kind of give some more ideas of what a, a mummy chronicle involves. And I think last time we talked about mummy, we were all like, the deceived sound cool. And yeah, I'm eager to read that one. Awesome, awesome. And then additionally, we have Tribe Book White Howlers for Werewolf the Apocalypse. Uh, this is a pretty cool tribe book because it's covering a tribe which is, um, I guess, extinct, really. Uh, they were a Scottish werewolf tribe that uh, was corrupted by the worm and uh, became the Black Spiral Dancers. So extinct it's kind of a, cool... a nice way of saying it, yeah. Yes. Uh, so it's kind of a cool uh, throwback to uh, give you some historical information on this tribe. And uh, it's, I guess, sort of a sort of a historical source book in some ways. Yeah, it's it's fun and it's uh really really well written from what I've read of it so far. Oh, excellent. Well, that was uh Jess Hartley, I believe, who is a yeah. phenomenal writer. She certainly is. Yep. And then additionally for Werewolf is W20 Umbra, The Velvet Shadow. Uh this is an update for the uh Umbral material for uh, Werewolf 20th Anniversary Edition and uh it kind of updates from the old 1st edition and 2nd edition Umbra source books. Yeah, that one kind of snuck up on me. I wasn't uh, wasn't expecting it to be out, and then there it was on drive through. Indeed, and continuing with the werewolf theme, we have W twenty Book of the Worm. So this is an update for the first and second edition worm books. Uh, it covers the basically antagonists, the primary uh, overt antagonists for the uh, Champions of Gaia, the Guru. And it is super good. <laughs> is it? All right, that's good to hear. 
It's good to hear. And then finally, uh, we have the Geist ready-made characters. So, uh, well, this is a very nice uh, additional option uh, for, for storytellers. If you need some quick characters, quick NPCs, or if you're going to run a one-shot or something, you just grab these guys and go with it. Uh, and uh, they've released these for pretty much all of the New World of Darkness games. Uh, and they include both the stats of the characters as well as uh, some information on their background and how they intermesh with all the uh, others. Mm. Yep. And finally, for Kickstarter, the uh, Dark Ages Vampire Kickstarter uh, ended successfully. Uh, and additionally, they have the uh, Wraith, the Oblivion 20th Anniversary Edition Kickstarter ongoing right now. And we're actually going to be talking about that later on in the show. Mm. So, is there anything else we have to cover uh, with regard to World of Darkness and new news or anything like that? Has anyone heard anything about Beast? I mean... They announced um, it, and then it kind of just vanished. I heard uh, it's in development. in development. Yeah, I've I've heard I've heard uh, through the grapevine good things so far about it. So I know someone that knows someone that's involved somehow in playtest or playing it. So, uh, but I know nothing else other than it's been good. <laughs> hmm. All right. Well, that's good to know. Uh, and I think with that, uh, do we have any, like, Darker Days news that we have to go over? Anything cool going on? Any uh, hybrid <sighs> videos that have been released or anything like that? Yeah, so I put up a uh, kind of a, I guess it was a review slash unboxing, um, which is kind of stupid considering you can't really buy it uh, brand new in box that easily. Uh, and I put up a gameplay video, so I think from that it kind of gives an impression of how that game works. I might put up another video of gameplay, uh, hopefully after Christmas when we play some, uh, simply because that mission I played was a bit anticlimactic towards the end, so hopefully the next one will be a bit more interesting. All right, and what game was that? So that's Hybrid, this uh, miniatures uh, board game uh, made by Rackham that's based on their Confrontation Ragnarok uh, setting. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like a dungeon crawl. But it's um, you have one person controlling the uh, alchemical clones and aberrations of uh, Durs, and the other side is playing uh, the the warriors of the Lodge of Hod uh, mm. from the Griff, uh, the, the kingdom of Akalania, uh, and the Lodge of Hod is a secret society that exists within the uh, Church of Merin. And they're, um, they're, they also have enemies after them, like the Inquisition. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty, the, the hybrid setting is really um, about going into these alchemical laboratories that have reawakened because the, the main plot point within the confrontation setting is this uh, god called Artoth, Altoth. Um, who is this god? Who's basically the god of technomancy and alchemy? He is uh, through a ritual known as the Dawn Ritual. He's brought onto the world of Art Clash, and his presence reawakens all the old laboratories that were hidden in other kingdoms. And because of that, uh, this the Lodge of Hod leads a kind of a, a, a silent crusade to uh, protect people and also to uh, retrieve the secrets from these laboratories. Sounds pretty neat. 
Uh, yeah, because it's it's over designed. If you watch the videos, you'll see these cards have mountains of text on them, and then have like the minute amount of actual game text. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Sweet. All right, so people can definitely go check that out. But let's get back to the World of Darkness and cover the yes. classic World of Darkness segment. Classic World of Darkness. Chris, Chig, mm -hmm. it's here. It's here. Wraith 20th <clears throat> Anniversary Edition. The Kickstarter's up. They're making it. And as uh, listeners may recall, I might have said, you know, maybe like a year or two ago, I was like, psh. They don't, need a, they don't need a 20th anniversary of Wraith. It's already so great as it is. It's already perfect. But you know what? Rich, dead guy Dansky is proving me wrong. Because he's given us something that's way better than what we've seen before. A load of new ideas and, and uh, experiences developed over the past 20 years of Wraith that are going to bring us the ultimate edition. And here it comes. So, uh, I backed it uh, within five minutes of it going up without reading the Kickstarter page, as is my modus operandi these days. Uh, Chig, did, did you back it? Absolutely. Sweet. Did you back it within the first five minutes without reading the Kickstarter page? At least page? that fast. Nice. Maybe faster. Nice. All right. And Chris, did you did you finally decide? I know you were, you were thinking about it. Uh, I, I've still got time to decide if I grab a PDF, but I've been backing some other stuff as well. And, uh, yeah, I think I'll have a think about it. Um, but I'll definitely grab the PDF for this one because I think uh, Wraith 20 is significantly, to me, more interesting uh, than the other uh, 20th anniversary stuff we've seen so far. All right, good uh, to hear. Yeah. So uh, I think in this segment, we're kind of going to just review what's going on with Wraith 20 and look at uh, some of the new... Uh, design decisions that have been made and uh, not only how that's going to impact Wraith 20th, but also just kind of analyze what we expect is going to happen with Changeling 20th. Because as, as you'll kind of learn as we're going through this, um, this is uh, kind of setting a lot of interesting precedent for how that Kickstarter might, might be run and how that development process might work. And of course, we have Chig here, who is our Changeling expert. I am already saving up for next year's Kickstarter. Excellent. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you, you know, Trig, you could just get a second mortgage on your house and you could, like, uh, just go all in. Well, the top tier on Wraith is $1,500, so I got to start Jesus. saving now. Okay, <laughs> wait, what is what 1500 What is that? It's called Audience with uh, Charon. Uh, Charon. Yeah, that's it's pronounced Charon. It's pronounced, it's pronounced Charon, and uh, she goes coochie coochie coo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just want to read through this. Sorry, sorry, listeners to the show, but now I'm just kind of curious. You get a uh, copy of Wraith 20th. Da, 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 da. You get a storyteller screen. Da, 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 I think da, da, it's da, that, da, last, that last thing character's on the list. Name. Da, 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 da. Special thanks. Plus, Richard Dansky will run a session of Wraith 20th over Skype for you and a coterie of players. Coterie! Excuse me, that's the wrong noun. Okay, the proper noun should be circle. Circle of Wraiths. Thanks. Sorry, anyway, um, getting back to the uh, actual segment, though. Wraith 20th. So we, of course, have done uh, multiple Wraith segments here on the show. Uh, if you want to go back and get kind of like a highlight review of the game system itself, definitely check out Darker Days episode number 22, where we uh, have a rapid fire discussing Wraith. 
Uh, and we've also gone over different wraith factions and uh, discussed uh, kind of the geography of the Shadowlands as well uh, in previous episodes, usually the last one of a season. So if you want more uh, kind of basic information about uh, the game itself, uh, you can feel free to pause the, uh, the show here and go back and check out one of those previous episodes. But here we have it, Wraith 20th. You know, it's a storytelling game of passion and horror, uh, where you play as one of these these ghosts who uh, is a spirit that can't let go of the mortal realm and is held there by their their fetters and uh, feeds off the passions of others, the living and the the quick as they're called. And we're seeing that they're uh, in this Wraith Twentieth, which is going to be a compilation of a lot of uh, different uh, previous source books and also the core rules of the game. Uh, they're going to be changing around a few things, which is what I'm, I'm kind of most interested in. Uh, we've already seen from the previous 20th anniversaries that these are usually a, a very strong anthology, which includes uh, you know, a lot of the different powers, a lot of different uh, minor factions, uh, in this case probably all the different guilds for, for Wraith. Uh, but it's kind of interesting to look at this one because this is the first 20th anniversary edition that is not being... Uh, revised or expanded from a revised edition book. Uh, Wraith only had a first edition, an old soft cover that came out in uh, 1994, and then also a hardcover second edition, which came out in 1996. They never got the revised treatment. So this is the first time that uh, writers are really going to be able to go back and uh, expand on and and correct a lot of the uh, design uh, aspects that were done previously. Um, and I guess, uh, just cause I'm looking at it right now, just so we can discuss who the writers are, uh, cause they're very familiar to, uh, a lot of World of Darkness fans, uh, listed on the, uh, Kickstarter page, we of course have Rich Dansky, who's, uh, been on the show before, uh, he was the third, second or third Wraith developer, uh, proceeding, uh, Sam Chupp and Jennifer Hartshorn. Uh, additionally, we have uh, Bruce Baugh, who's a very, very cool uh, World of Darkness writer. Uh, in fact, when I first got into World of Darkness books, someone told me, if you see that uh, Bruce Baugh is one of the authors, it's probably going to be a good book. And uh, that advice has never steered me wrong since. It's a good rule of thumb. It is. Uh, we also have Lucian Solban. Uh, he is uh, very well known for his work not only on Wraith, but also on the Orpheus game line, which he developed. Uh, and he also did the Warhammer 40,000 Dawn of War story stuff, like the writing for it. Also, he did um, Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon, which is a great video game that you should check out. I believe he's uh, one of Ubisoft's lead writers. I believe it. I believe it. Uh, next up, we have two writers that are very familiar to uh, Chig right here. We have Jackie Casada who uh, did a lot of work on various World of Darkness games, including uh, Changeling the Dreaming. And is she the one that wrote the uh, Immortalized trilogy? Uh, Not that I remember. Okay, I guess I'm mistaken in that regard. And we also have Nikki Rhea, who also worked on Changeling Dreaming and a bunch of other World of Darkness games. And actually, those two both worked on a lot of Ravenloft material for uh, TSR back in the day. I take it back. Jackie Casada did write the uh, the trilogy, which shall not be named. Well, I mean, she she's a great writer. She just that was a tough that was a tough thing to work with, you know. It, adapting it, it was, adapting sh- it was, it was short a dark story. day. It was it was not a not a good time. Well, 
Okay. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. And then Clayton Oliver, who I am not familiar with. Uh, Chig, do you recognize that uh, writer? Clayton Oliver? No. No. Well, that's fine. And then uh, additionally, we have Charles Andrew Bates. Who I'm? Is that Andrew Bates? Clayton Oliver wrote uh, Clam Book Asimite Revised Edition. Interesting. Uh, yes, actually, it does seem that Charles Andrew Bates is Andrew Bates, uh, who is an artist for, for White Wolf. He also did uh, some development of Mummy the Resurrection and uh, additionally wrote the uh, Mummy trilogy back in the day. And of course, we have uh, Matthew Dawkins, who is the gentleman gamer, a uh, friend of the show and uh, has been uh, writing for uh, Onyx Path recently. And then finally, Lillian Cohen-Moore, who's been on the show before. Uh, and we, uh, if, if listeners remember, is a huge fan of Wraith. So it's uh, very exciting to see her uh, joining this team and helping out with the 20th anniversary edition. So uh, from that kind of list of authors, you can see that there's a bunch of uh, existing authors and new ones coming in to uh, contribute their own uh, ideas and uh, expertise to the Wraith universe. Uh, and one of the cool things that's going to be happening with uh, Wraith 20th is that they're going through and they're really updating the system and revising. Uh, but we're also learning that there's a lot of things that they can't fit in there. Uh, Rich Dansky released a very interesting Kickstarter update where he brought up the, uh, the, the Dark Kingdoms, uh, which are uh, additional parts of the setting outside of Stygia and the, uh, the Dark Kingdom of Iron, which is the sort of uh, European slash American uh, default setting for Wraith. Uh, they also had the Dark Kingdom of Jade, Dark Kingdom of Ivory, and uh, a couple others, which are uh, other societies that you could explore in the Wraith universe. Now, in this update, he was discussing uh, updating and really talking about the word count and uh, how to manage that with this book. And it seems as though his design decision was that he was going to include as much as he could about the um, new rules uh, and, and Arkanoi, and how to update those in the uh, Wraith 20th book. But he's actually going to leave out a lot of the information on the Dark Kingdoms, maybe just put in a couple of paragraphs uh, in quick summary to remind people and explain what they are. But a lot of that's going to be missing from the, uh, a lot of the expanded cultural aspects and, and discussion and source material is going to be missing from the Wraith 20th book. Likewise, we're seeing that they're going to put in uh, information on the Spectres, which are the... Uh, Wraith servants of Oblivion, essentially, the, uh, the dark forces of the, uh, the Shadowlands in that universe. Additionally, there's going to be rules for the Risen, which are the uh, wraiths that can go back and inhibit their bodies or another living body to return to the, uh, the Skinlands, where uh, you know, us mortals live uh, in the game. You can just call them the Crow, Mike. It's They're basically <laughs> the Crow. Um, <laughs> Yes, that was uh, the the Risen is probably the uh, the weakest of the uh, Wraith source books, and it's still actually pretty okay. Um, it's the crowiest of all. It's the crowiest of all. And it's actually interesting that it was a uh, it was marketed as a Wraith book, but right on the back there's a big stamp for Vampire the Masquerade uh, with that logo, and it actually has a significant amount of material on how these Risen characters, aka the Crow, can interact with uh, Kindred society. Uh, additionally, there's going to be material for Orpheus. 
Uh, this was going to be just a, uh, a small section, but they've expanded it to an appendix. Uh, it doesn't seem like from the updates that we really know what's going to go into this appendix. I know, Chig, you're hoping that they're going to have character creation rules in there. Um, it would be nice if they're going if they're going to include setting material. It makes sense that they would include. And here's a here's how you make a character to play in this setting we've just described. I'm sure there'll be a reworking of something like Arkanoi to be certain powers. I mean, I don't know. Office character creation rules didn't take up that much space. Right, and there, but there were. I mean, yeah. In Orpheus, you had half of the splats were living people. Yeah, exactly. There isn't really anything. You don't have to do anything crazy with choosing what type of, you know, either you're a, or or you're a ghost that's able to, um, you know, ride someone. So I don't. I don't think it should be that difficult to provide enough space to make it playable. That's what I'm saying. Well, uh, to make it playable, perhaps, but to really do it justice and have the full character creation with all the different powers updated I think would take up a lot of space uh, they mentioned in here that the new expanded Wraith uh, appendix is going to be about 15,000 words which um, I believe is that's probably only about like 24 pages so maybe it could be done but uh, then you'll be missing out on a lot of the uh, interesting source material between the Orpheus group and uh, Terrell and Squib and the uh, the different factions going on in that setting True. If, if they're not including the uh, Dark Kingdoms outside of Stygia, then I'm really, really hesitant to think that they're going to include anything outside of the Orpheus group in the Orpheus section. Oh, that's a valid point. That's a very valid point, Chig. I don't know. We'll have to see how it plays out, and uh, maybe we'll get a cool update at some point where uh, Rose or uh, Rich will kind of explain what's going to be going into that section. I'd be very curious to see, uh, because Orpheus is one of those interesting game lines that I've I've not really been able to explore that much. So uh, if they can fit it all into Wraith 20th and kind of give you like a easy plug-and-play, that would just be phenomenal uh, to really let you jump in and uh, get started with that game setting uh, a lot faster and easier. Cool. Uh, another big thing that we're going to be seeing is uh, not only the revision to Arkanoi, uh, in the update, but also updating and revising of the shadow guiding rules. Now, shadow guiding is an important aspect of the uh, Wraith game itself that I'm not sure if we've really talked about too much here on the show. Uh, essentially what happens is that within the context of the game, the Wraiths have this this other dark force within them called the shadow. Uh, it's this this twin to their, to their being and psyche, which uh, is trying to drag them towards oblivion you know, whispering to them, offering them power in exchange for essentially damning their soul and bringing them closer to destruction. Uh, it's the sh- when the shadow takes over uh, fully uh, in the Wraith, that's basically when they become a specter, uh, become a uh, an agent of oblivion. Now, within the actual gameplay and the rules, uh, there's a system for shadow guiding where another player will take control of your shadow and could uh, pass you notes and make you deals and offers to give you power over the course of the game when you're in a uh, very difficult situation. And if you uh, accept that power, uh, you're going to lose control of your character for a little bit, perhaps, um, depending on the effects, and that player would then take over. That's kind of the uh, the, the real basic uh, explanation of shadow guiding. Um, now, 
understandably, this can make things a little difficult because now players have to handle two different characters and have to pay attention quite a bit. A few other systems have appeared over the years where perhaps the storyteller just controls the shadows of everyone in the group. Uh, but this can also be pretty difficult for the uh, storyteller because now they're handling all the NPCs and partially controlling the, uh, the other player characters. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see uh, what the new shadow guiding rules are and how they, how they make them clearer. Uh, because it's not only just the role-playing aspect, there's also a bit of bookkeeping. Uh, you basically have it, I think you, uh, yeah, in some books they actually gave you a separate character sheet for the shadow. So, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of bookkeeping. If they can tie that all together into one spot, that might make things uh, a little bit easier. And just to make things more streamlined and just clear for how the, uh, the shadow works and, and uh, plays with the characters would, uh, would definitely be good. Um, and I think they can definitely do that uh, with a lot of uh, inspiration from newer, more story-driven games um, that have come out over the years. Um, I know Lillian Coamore works on quite a few of those, so that's definitely a good, per- good person to have on the team to, uh, to help out in that regard. Hmm. Yes. Yeah, that was... That was yeah, I can, I, no, I can see with the, with, um, with the shadow guiding, the, um, the idea of, I think, what we commonly... Re- that I commonly kind of call in New World's Darkness, you know, nudge mechanics to... Uh, Correct. You know, it, it, it makes sense to maybe kind of gamify how and really kind of encode how uh, being the shadow to another player's character works without it being completely overbearing and turning into a nightmare for both players. So, um, yeah, that'd be really cool. Indeed, indeed. And another system that's going to be uh, cleaned up and revised is Passions and Fetters. Um, the, the system that exists for these are actually, they're not too difficult. Um, passions basically uh, allow you to make a role uh, when you're around someone who is uh, uh, exhibiting uh, em- emotions and passions uh, similar to what your wraith feeds off of. So, for example, your, your wraith may, uh, may gain pathos from uh, anger. So if someone's, uh, an NPC is very angry, uh, let's say they're in a, uh, a murderous rage or something, the Wraith may be able to uh, gain pathos from that. Uh, I think it might be good to revise these just to uh, make them a bit more clear for when they're used. Because uh, the only issue I can see with, with Wraith is that sometimes people will have to uh, kind of stop and say, like, oh, is this person angry? Can I make this roll? Um just making a list of like particular triggers for each of the passions, I think would be very good for uh, allowing this mechanic to be used without disturbing the flow of the game. Because uh, that's, that's really one of the, uh, the primary issues I think you run into with Wraith is uh, getting bogged down by these more esoteric and obscure rules uh, that kind of prevent you from keeping up the, uh, the flow of gameplay and uh, the story itself. Hmm. Agreed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then, as we said, uh, they're going to be revising, revising the setting a little bit and looking at uh, how they can uh, sort of fix up the, the Stygian and uh, Shadowlands setting to uh, enhance gameplay. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that they're going to be doing is making guilds into a more viable option. Uh, you may recall that Chig and I had a bit of a back and forth previously uh, when we were discussing different factions of Wraith and the guilds in particular. Uh, for how they're presented in the setting. And previously, when you look at first edition especially, uh, the guilds have been disbanded. They're very um, 
oppressed or outright hunted by the uh, hierarchy. Uh, but now it seems like, without revealing too much, Rich Dansky is going to uh, be fixing that and making them more viable uh, for gameplay. And they're in fact now going to be encouraging players and characters to uh, join a guild or make it a, make it a very strong option uh, at character creation. So that's going to be kind of interesting to see. And I'm wondering what they're going to have to change or uh, adjust in the setting itself to, uh, to make that viable. Because uh, if you go back and listen to that uh, previous episode, I don't remember which one it is. I think it was like 58 or so. Uh, when Chicken and I were discussing uh, the Wraith factions, I basically brought up the point where I feel that uh, a character creation, you can join one of those factions. It could be in a guild or in a legion of the hierarchy or a particular heretic cult, or you can just um, be an independent Wraith uh, without any any uh, faction ties, let's say. And th- those are all uh, equally valid options. Um, so I'm kind of curious what they're going to do to the setting to make it so that characters and players now particularly want to be part of a guild yeah um i've always felt that uh including the guild and saying hey look here's all these these neato cool awesome factions but if you play one then uh you're hunted and nobody likes you and uh, it's really a bad option uh inside the setting was just i don't know a counterintuitive idea maybe indeed but, uh, indeed uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm curious to see what they're going to do going forward. Yep, yep. So that's uh, that's Wraith 20th right there. Uh, it's kind of cool to see, and uh, maybe if we just kind of skip through some of the stretch goals, we might uh, might be able to brainstorm a little bit more and give some more uh, opinion and uh, and ideas about this. Um, and the first few Kickstarter or stretch goals are pretty simple. Um, Wraith t-shirts. You've all heard Chig's opinion on t-shirts for uh, World of Darkness games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A street map of Stygia, uh, which is actually kind of cool. I've always had this idea that Wraith would be like the sweetest Dungeons and Dragons campaign setting ever. You know, just uh, <laughs> exploring this bizarre other world of death. It would be really cool, especially even if you divorced it from the mortal world and just made it into this uh, this crazy fantasy adventure. Wraith would, uh, and Stygia would be pretty neat. So, that map could be interesting, you know, people like to have maps for their, uh, for their fantasy games, and, um, actually, this is another side tangent right here, but kind of interesting one. Chig, you pointed out to me when this map was being released that Wraith is actually kind of like Planescape, isn't it? When you look at the it's, Shadowlands, it's, it's all is, yeah. centered around this one city, where you can, from that city, go to all these different places. In this case, in the Shadowlands, uh, into the different uh, different holds and uh, citadels of the uh, hierarchy in other places, in the other Dark Kingdoms, as opposed to Planescape, where they have all these different doors, different uh, planes and, uh, and immaterial realms. It's a slightly darker version of, uh, <laughs> of Planescape, yeah. Yes, and of course, in Planescape, the guilds, I'm saying this in quotation marks, uh, have not been destroyed and oppressed yet. Yet being the operative <laughs> word. Indeed. Additionally, there's going to be a Wraith fiction anthology. Okay, we've seen a lot of those. That could be definitely uh, some pretty cool stuff. And they're going to do the Orpheus subsection, as we mentioned. Uh, 15,000 word appendix uh, to the book. Definitely good. 
another new book that they're going to be putting out is the Handbook for the Recently Deceased, which is actually a uh, 24-page kind of primer for uh, players and storytellers as well, explaining uh, life after death uh, for the Wraith characters. Uh, they're going to be putting in some uh, additional Arkanoi. So they're going to be uh, bringing in the Arkanoi from the Dark Kingdom of Jade source book and also from the Doomslayer source book uh, to give you more power options and also to update those rules uh, based on the experience of you know, the past 20 years. And then uh, coming up, they're going to be putting out the Book of Oblivion. So this is going to be another one of their kind of anthology source books where with the different stretch goals that we cover uh, in the Kickstarter itself, they put in basically extra chapters into this book and uh, slowly expand upon it. Uh, it's something that they did with the uh, uh, with the Dark Ages Kickstarter, and I think it turned out very well. And uh, it seems like the Dark Ages book, the Dark Ages anthology that they're going to be putting out, is going to be fairly hefty. Um, but it's easier than uh, having all these individual source books uh, that they're going to have to be putting out for the next two or three years, which is kind of what we've been seeing with... Uh, with Werewolf 20th and that Kickstarter. So I think it gives them a way to uh, streamline things overall. So pretty cool stretch goals overall. And actually, you know, I need to uh, have another side tangent here, but uh, Rich, Rich Thomas, I know you might be listening to this, and, you know, maybe if you're not, uh, maybe someone will just kind of link you to this, but Rich, I think there's something you got to do with this book, and it's the perfect stretch goal. Perfect. Okay. <laughs> You know, it's a it's a cool, thick, black leather book. Looks phenomenal. You're going to put silver gilding on the uh, page edges? Nah, nah. Rich, you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. This is Wraith. And one of the coolest things with Wraith First Edition was the fact that the front cover glowed in the dark. So here's what you got to do. Glow in the dark page edging. Come on. You'll just uh, wake up in the middle of the night, look over at your bookshelf, and that one book, that one Wraith book will just be glowing subtly tempting you oh it would be perfect think about it rich think about it so um all the stretch goals we've gone through i'm just looking through those are all free to all backers which ones are because sometimes uh, stretch the, goals the often... t-shirts are not free to all obviously backers. not yeah <laughs> obviously i mean i mean the book content soft t-shirts um but all the all the kind of written content that's to all back is it yes i believe uh, uh yes, yep, it, yep, is. it is uh they that's do have the uh, cool. add-ons that you can get so for yeah, yeah. let me see if i can find those on the kickstarter page uh for five dollars like... you can get uh a couple of fiction books uh from the original wraith line uh, for $10, you can get uh, the Player's Guide and the Shadow Player's Guide, all as PDFs, of course. Uh, for $15, you can get uh, Wraith, uh, the Oblivion 1st and 2nd Edition core books. Uh, for $20, they will give you the setting PDFs. Uh, for $25, uh, you can get an additional PDF of the uh, 20th Anniversary Edition. Or for 25 you can get uh, four faction PDFs, the Book of Legions, Renegades, Doomslayers, and the Hierarchy. For $30 add-on, you can get all six of the guild books, which mm. uh, is a pretty good investment right there, because I enjoy the guild books. Uh, for 75 you get uh, 
20th edition anniversary or 20th anniversary edition versions of uh, vampire werewolf and mage and for 150 dollars you can get every single classic Wraith game line PDF that is currently available from DriveThruRPG. Yeah, that's pretty nuts. Which I believe <laughs> is the entirety of the game line. Yeah. Yep, it is. It is. Cool. So, boom, that's Wraith right there. But I think there's something else we got to discuss. We got to do a little analysis here, analysis here, Chig. What does this herald for Changeling the Dreaming 20th? What what kind of vibe does this give you? Because, you know, when you look back at Changeling, that's another game that never got a revised edition. And there's, when you look at it, a lot of different rules, a lot of different conflicting systems. How are they going to bring it all into one 20th anniversary book? What's what's your gut instinct right here? Uh, my gut instinct or my hope? <laughs> give me your hope, Chig. Uh, my hope is that uh, since they have uh, Jackie Casada and Nikki Ray back working on Wraith here, and since they were Changeling line developers for a while, uh, that they can get uh, those two together to revise Changeling for its 20th anniversary, just like Wraith is finally being revised here for its 20th anniversary, and that uh, they can bring everything together under a, a sleek and unified rule set. That's my dream. Unified <laughs> rule set. That's the operative phrase right there. Because yeah. when you look at when you look at Changeling, there's a lot of different kits, a lot of different, you know, pseudo-kits as well. Every splat has its own character generation rules and differences, <laughs> and yeah, yeah, I know. It's, it's my favorite setting, but it gets ridiculous after a while. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, Chig, when you look at the different, uh, different you know, sub-kits, pseudo-kits, and all of that, is there a particular one that uh, you like the system of that you think like, hey, this is actually a pretty slick system which might work to unify all the different uh, all the different kits and uh, how, how you could play them uh, in a universal fashion? Well, most of them are just variations on the second edition kit system found in the core book. Uh, the Nanehi, the um, Hawaiian guys, Minahune, who I'm and um, most of the others, uh, the, the Thalane, are just variations on that theme. Um, if they wanted to go ahead and make the, uh, uh, whatchamacallums, uh, the Adhine, uh, use that same system instead of giving them three, uh, a, a tripartite soul instead of a, a bilateral soul like everybody else then that would solve quite a few of my issues and of course they can just dump the shin because <laughs> those aren't changelings to begin with hmm. interesting interesting and when you look at changeling is there anything you'd you'd hope they'd include to say like an appendix or something like that would you really want to see dark ages fey appendix in your uh changeling absolutely 20th? not Okay. Keep that garbage away from Changeling. Whoa, hey, hey, that's a little harsh right there. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm sure that there are people out there who enjoyed Dark Ages Fey. I haven't ever actually met one of them, but I'm sure they exist. Um, but yeah, it has as much to do with uh, Changeling as it as Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons does. They're they're just not related mm -hmm. in the slightest. No, it's quite true. It's quite true. The hmm. real question that we need to ask, though, yeah. 
is when are we going to see the 20th anniversary edition of Street Fighter? Ah, oh, damn. <laughs> You're right, because that was 94, 95. That's coming up soon. Oh, exactly. chick. Chick. I mean, that game. I know someone that played it. I they played actually it. played it. Wait, what? I played it. No, chick. Oh, yeah. my uh, One of my best friends in high school had all the books. All <laughs> he the ran books. It. No way. What'd you do? Did you just go to a fight tournament and fight people? Uh, yeah, basically that was that was the uh, the thrust of the game, as it were. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. There was uh, some like my sister had been kidnapped or something. That was my character's motivation, so I had to you know fight the the forces of Shadow Lu or whatever the country was called. Huh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was it was a, a high school lunch lunchroom game, basically. <laughs> Nice, nice, cool. So, well, I think that's pretty much it for uh, Wraith and, and Changeling. Do we have anything else we need to discuss? Uh, Chris, you got any ideas or opinions or stuff you'd like to see? Um, not really. I think it's, uh, I think it's the one thing that I, I'm, I will mostly back it. I think, seeing how much is uh, coming out with stretch goals and so forth. So, um, and of all. I think it's the most interesting in the sense that I think there's a lot I can port over to uh, to Geist, the Sin Eaters, just with random ideas. So um, I see it as potentially being the most useful uh, of the Old World of Darkness uh, 20th anniversaries to anything for New World of Darkness in that sense. Because um, a map of a map of Stygia, I mean, that's an entire domain in uh, Geist. So uh, that would be pretty wicked. That's true. That's actually that would be a pretty cool place to explore in the underworld. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really cool. Was I'm there really... ever a wraith to um, Senator's translation guide? No. Uh, I don't believe so. No. I don't think yet. so. Not yet, at least. They might come out with something. Um, I'm still waiting for that demon translation guide. Come on, mm. get get on it, Matt McFarland. They mentioned it at. Uh... At Gen Con this year. I'm fairly positive they, that was this year. I'm sure they suggested they were going to bring it out before Demon Descent had even been released. And, uh, yeah. And, like we said, we've not heard anything of it since. Um, no, we probably have. It, it's probably, like, in editing in the uh, Monday Monday meeting notes. Yeah. I just need to go check that out. Cool. All right. I think that's pretty much it for Wraith. Uh, I'm pretty pumped. Definitely going to be uh, interesting. Actually... You know, with all these other 20th anniversaries, they've mentioned like a a introductory adventure or something like that to be coming out, and they haven't announced that for for Wraith. And I think that's actually a, a hole or a void that really should be filled for this game line. Just a quick, easy way for people to get into the game and uh, and explore the setting. Well, you know, you said that you wanted to play more uh, White Wolf games in the new year. Maybe you could write a uh, quick and easy introductory Wraith game. Chig, is that a challenge? (laughs) It sounded like a challenge, didn't it? (sighs) Well, Chig, challenge accepted. And with that, let's go on over to The Secret Frequency.
So, for this uh, solstice issue of uh, Darker Days, considering the date we are recording on, um, we will be bringing you the legend of Jack Frost. Now, Jack Frost is not just some cute little kid who saves Santa or some nonsense like that. Jack Frost has uh, a legend, a mythology that date back, dates back far further. So, in Norse folklore, Jack Frost is an elf who embodies crisp and cold winter weather, and he is apparently the son of the winds. Uh, he's, of course, was popular in uh, Anglo-Saxon and Norse winter customs, and he is referred to as Jokul Frosty, or the Icicle Frost. He is believed to be the one that makes all the fern-like crystal patterns, the one who creates icicles, who uh, creates all the strange ice-like formations that we see in winter. He is the one that leaves behind the frosty uh, glitter that we see on grass and upon the leaves of plants in the morning. And his portrayal is that is often as an in invisible spirit who you can't hear, you can't touch, but you can certainly feel as his uh, cold breath penetrates through your flesh into your bones. Now, he's typically considered to be rather friendly and jolly. However, if provoked, he can and will kill his victims by covering them with snow. Now, of course, Jack Frost in modern times uh, lives on uh, being sort of a Frost King uh, and being also known as the Jolly Rogue and seen as something of a contemporary uh, to Santa Claus and uh, also sometimes maybe being an antagonist to him because, of course, he is a bit of a, uh, of a, a rogue and a, ras uh, a rascal in that sense. Um, and, of course, he's also depicted as having the power to freeze shadows and split them from their owners, making them into living entities. And so, of course, he then lives on in more modern uh, folklore and uh, tales uh, and uh, fairy tales in particular. So, how can we make use of Jack Frost in our games? Uh, Chig. <laughs> Yeah, he kind of kind of cries out to be a changeling there, doesn't he? <laughs> oh yeah, he's certainly he's certainly a changeling. I mean, I would see for me personally, he could be a, a particular title for a changeling in Changeling the Lost. So a particular title within the Court of Winter. So literally, it could be the name that is given to the the Winter King uh, as the court cycle. Um, so that's one idea, I think, there. Another thing is he could be kind of a, a type of uh, a, a class of kind of rogue uh, winter courtiers. Does he... Sort of like the... I was going to say, sort, sort of like the... Um, oh, what are they called? The Scarecrow. Uh, oh, what's her name? Scarecrow something or other. Who are also autumn courtiers who go about causing trouble. So it would be interesting... That, Maybe therefore an entitlement. Mm -hmm. uh, so a type of a type of, that as you get it, you get more particular um, powers. Maybe an entire selection of uh, of more ice-themed contracts. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, 
You know, I think he actually uh, would fit very well as a Winter Fey from Dark Ages Fey. And I just keep wanting to mention this game just because it kind of grates Jake a little bit. Uh, but it's very interesting <laughs> that uh, the uh, really, the Winter... Because what would he do during the rest of the day? <laughs> well, let, please, let, please, let me explain. Go, the go, go uh, Winter Court and Dark Ages Fey are actually the very warlike and uh, uh, ferocious court. Um, they have uh, a lot of like, the winter trolls and that sort of thing. So it seems to me that he uh, could fit very well um, as, as something similar to that court, as opposed to Changeling the Lost, where the, uh, the Winter Court is all about avoidance and hiding away. So I just thought that might be a kind of relevant point. He's an easy um, spirit for any game, really. So New World of Darkness or uh, Classic World of Darkness. So he could literally be the spirit of winter. And in that sense, then, um, you can use him as a, as a kind of a, a plot point where winter is somehow out of sync or, or something is wrong with it. Uh, and that's due to some sort of perversion of the uh, spiritual balance in the, the Hissel or in the Shadow and the Umbra. Um, and that way then you've got uh, potentially a very powerful spirit that could become uh, a totem even for a, uh, for, a tr- for a pack of werewolves. Yeah, he definitely mixes very well with the Snowbrides, which are a uh, kind of antagonist uh, that are in the New World of Darkness book, Midnight Roads. Uh, the Snowbrides being these uh, kind of winter okay. creatures that uh, lure, um, in almost like a siren fashion, lure travelers off the road and into the, uh, into the wilderness, into the cold, uh, snowy uh, backwoods, uh, where they... Uh, torture and suck the heat out of uh, out of individuals uh he could uh, very easily be uh, an opposing force or perhaps an ally to them um and if you want to have sort of a snow themed adventure for the holidays those are uh, two pretty cool antagonists to use um, Who doesn't like christmas episodes hmm. yep he also has kind of a very uh if you want to get ideas for how to kind of portray him um you can look to because of course in the modern literature they say like how he he he, um, he apparently can you know, kidnap children so you kind of kind you could look to uh, the child snatcher in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang because obviously he has a the portrayal of the child snatcher there um, is by a I can't remember his name but he's actually a ballet dancer so he has a very particular way of moving. Um, and that then leads into a very weird, weird series of adverts that were shown in the UK ages ago. They were renowned as being quite good at, renowned as scaring children a lot, these adverts. So they were on like, the, they're on like the hundred, top 100 list of scariest things ever. Um, and it's a, basically just look on YouTube for the Judder Man. And it's an advert for uh, an alcohol drink called by something like I think it's called Mets or something like that. Anyway, the Judder Man, and again, he's got a very kind of Jack Frost kind of appearance in the way he moves. Um, I think it would be really useful for getting a good uh, in your mind's eye how how to portray this character. Hmm, interesting. You know, I think uh, Jack Frost could actually be a cool uh, vampire character. Um, in that uh, mm, there's yeah. this uh, breath stealer maybe indeed there's actually this cool subsect of uh, sort of uh, removing uh, Lithuanian Tremere in Dark Ages known as the uh, Trelia Velik Tremere and he could fit in very well with them 
could could be kind of an interesting way to uh, portray a, uh, a very in- unique individual within that bloodline. Um, his ability, the more modern things, of the power to free shadows and split them from their owners, uh, is interesting. Um, that'll very almost be any. Yeah, and also ties in with possibly with the La Sombra, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Either as, as being one of the La Sombra or also someone that could technically uh, be a rival to them. Um, that's quite kind of interesting there. Um, I can't really think of anything in particular for Mage other than obviously, you know, in Mage, you c- could just have a, a Mage that, you know, ice magic is their kind of modus operandi there. So, um, you can fit it in how you like there. Um, and then, can I think of anything for Promethean? Mm, not really. I'm sure there's a way you could possibly work something in. Well, in the, I mean, again, Jack Frost could be a particular Promethean who who died. Uh, his original human form died out in the snowy wastes, and then he was brought back by some traveling uh, alchemist who into this person, into that room, into that cadaver, uh, put, uh, you know, the primordial fire. And so this Promethean is, is in some way tied to the element, of, you know, the elemental ice in that way. Hmm. Yeah, it could and, be cool. Uh, you know, I think actually in Promethean, uh, he'd be very interesting uh, just to be this, this sort of NPC that the uh, throng would interact with. Being as he seems like he's rather soulless in many ways, he could be a very good um, foil to some of the other uh, human individuals that they run into. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a good selection of ideas. I have no way. I don't think he fits in with Mummy whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I was or, trying to think of something. Of yeah, I'm sure there's mostly equivalent legends where you can make Jack Frost into something that's more... Uh, uh, fitting with kind of the local mythology of a particular country, though it's sometimes often quite hard to research. So uh, whether that's something that fits more with China or Japan, uh, maybe. Because, um, again, Japan's got a, a particular kind of uh, uh, ghost legend, uh, which I'll just briefly mention. I don't know whether we mentioned this before. Uh, it's something called the Yuki Ona, which is a spirit or, or yukai from Japanese mythology. It means snow girl or snow wench or snow hag, which actually is quite similar then uh, in some respects to what you were saying, Mike, from the stuff from Midnight Roads. Mm-hmm. And again, this is the spirit of someone that perished in the snow, said to be beautiful and serene, yet is a ruthless killer. Uh, and... Um, yeah, that's kind of a very ghostly snow kind of uh, grudge ring cycle kind of kind of depiction you go for, and again appears to travelers trapped in snow in snowstorms and use her icy breath to leave them as frost coated corpses. So, um, oh, and there's also some stuff where she can manifest as holding a child, which uh, leads to the parents. Uh, uh, there's just some various other weird things so she's also quite succubi like or vampiric um yeah so again there's uh, ways you can maybe find uh, a way of portraying a similar entity in that local area nice nice well guys i just looked outside and it's starting to snow out so um, i'm getting a little nervous here maybe we should move on to the next segment Mm-hmm. world of darkness 2.0 
So the next segment we're going to cover uh, Demon the Descent, and in particular we're going to do a kind of a brief overview uh, review of um, Flowers of Hell, which is the Demon the Descent player's guide, and also look in in more detail maybe or give some ideas on how to make use of infrastructure in your game, and also uh, the cipher we've been asked about on uh, on our Facebook page if we can give some more ideas or insight into that. Um, so, Mike, have you had a look at Flowers of Hell at all? Nope. Nope. Okay, so Flowers of Hell is uh, is pretty much like uh, The Blood or, uh, or, or similar books for uh, New World of Darkness. So it's a proper good player's guide, which gets really into, uh, in Chapter 1, you're, you've got a good insight into what it is to be like a demon because there's some very particular things about them you know how you can throw off your cover and show your true demonic form the fact that you can understand any and all languages perfectly and speak them uh and then also kind of what it must feel like to be this uh complex quantum mechanical trans-dimensional entity that is forced into this uh, material body and uh, how that must feel. Uh, so the moment of what the fall must feel like. Um, and then there's a whole thing about covers and and acquiring those in particular ways and and compromises to them. So really, it does as a book, it does does well on expanding a lot of the sections that we've seen already in the uh, the main core book. The later chapters uh, are just kind of look towards we have um chapter four has gadgets which is just a really big grab bag of uh of things which demons can uh empower uh so this really expands the options of gameplay for them and how you and it gives you how to create those and how to put how gadgets can be can have embeds kind of installed into them or exploits. So really, they're kind of a way of enchanting items in that way. Uh, again, there's there's lots and lots and lots of things there. Um, but I'll, I'll admit, I've kind of gl- I've really not gone into that too much because often when you see things like that, to me, it's just here's more stuff the player's going to use before really maybe you've understood how to play the game properly or how to kind of portray the characters. So all I'll say about that is there's a lot of interesting neat ideas that you can use within the game or or to create an entire story about of it some gadget or monumental power that may be a clue to a cipher or to a key for a demon to proceed in its descent um the chapters which i think are more interesting than overall other than the, the first one which is about what it is like to be a demon is chapter two which is hacking the god machine so this is about more information on, on infrastructure and chapter three which is embeds exploits demonic form abilities and then how that interfaces with like the cipher um so what can we say about infrastructure so i think we said this about we mentioned a lot about infrastructure all the way back when we reviewed uh the god machine chronicles when that first came out <laughs> Infrastructure comes in for uh, a few classes. We've got concealment, defense, elimination, uh, logistical, command and control. And these are all part, all kind of tools and layers for the God Machine to, uh, to create 
an occult matrix. Uh, so an occult matrix is essentially something that bringing together resources and elements and items and people at the right moment or moments to cause something to happen, for something to come into being, for something to be drawn in, into our world or removed, that in some way benefits the God machine. Now, I think the main issue that a lot of people have with 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 this is really um, what does the God machine want? Because the God machine is this huge eldritch entity from the outer darkness that is incredibly difficult to uh, to really imagine understand or think about what it wants um so i think the key thing for any chronicle is maybe to come up with uh at least one occult matrix which is going to be the key kind of plot point of of the chronicle whether you whether the occult matrix does what it's meant to do or not is another thing entirely and then also maybe come up with another two which you haven't detailed as much but you've got some idea of what infrastructures are linked together in there and i think that's the main thing is is coming up with this this network of infrastructures and how they interact um so mike uh what do you think so far with with what you know of demon and what you've read i mean is that your your gut feeling where maybe demon is is seems difficult to run initially because you have to kind of think what is what about these infrastructures and what they're doing you know i actually kind of disagree chris uh when it comes to infrastructure okay. i almost want to say just come up with a bunch of cool ideas just come up with this dartboard of, of different infrastructure and don't try to figure out how they all interact because it's it's really supposed to be beyond mortal comprehension uh you know it's this uh this bizarre entity that's created the infrastructure over uh, millennia and uh, and is just something that you as the player characters are stumbling upon. Um, so I think you should really just come up with a bunch of cool ideas um, for for different things that exist. But don't I worry too much about... Fine. Yep. I was going to say, I think that's fine for a Mortals game, but I don't think that works as well for Demon, because for Demon the whole thing is you you may be exposed to you as a demon you can you can recognize infrastructure more easily because you're you're innately tuned to this so and for demons the key thing is uh, not only trying to it's not just eliminating infrastructure but there's also a lot about uh about taking over infrastructure so again going back to chapter one in in files of hell it goes through about you know what it is like to be a saboteur a tempter uh, an inquisitor all these different types of kind of of demons and also how your ring forms and how your your ring of demons your group of demons uh, acts within their city or where they are with the the governing agendas and and what they go out to do so and of course then a, a critical resource is taking over and using infrastructures now what you've said about coming up with some cool ones which aren't really attached to anything is good if you want something which you just want to be a plot point where you've got some factions trying to you know fight over to take something that they can use uh for their larger plans so because infrastructures can become abandoned and forgotten or halfway can halfway finished um but also i think it to give the idea of kind of like this this 
Byzantine kind of layers of of uh, layers of intrigue, um, then to have some sort of working kind of map of how some of these infrastructure are all interlinked and what they're what and to give an idea of this huge goal or at least give a sense that there is something they're all working towards. I think it's important to reinforce that the God Machine is doing something with all these infrastructure. Hmm. Okay. I, I think that's fine. Um now when when you're coming up with the organization how these different infrastructure interact how specific do you really need to be? Um, could you really just say that perhaps this um, one rail station that uh, leaks etheric resonance is uh, connected to a power plant with a with a techno-organic heart beating in the middle? Can you just say that there's a connection, or do you really have to figure out what's going on? Um, I that that's a really good question. I mean, I think. I think you can make a detailed kind of connection. So obviously you could have, so I wrote up like an example, um, one which the idea of like the, the God machine is, is for, is seeking to eliminate a person from reality simply because he wants their entire, not just that person gone, but their entire ancestry gone because he wants to bring into, into our reality, a paradox spirit, which I think is kind of interesting for the God machine to want to, to make use of for some reason um and of course then in that list of of infrastructure there's how it's going to do that like what bits it's making and i think you can go into a lot of detail with that but i don't think you always have to so again with with kind of some of these other ones which you don't know what they're quite connected to i don't think you need as much detail because it may not fit into something that is as immediate to where the characters are located so what I mean is like the infrastructure you're interacting with is actually maybe a uh, part of of a larger plan that covers multiple cities. So you may not be in the position as a ring of demons to go off to all these different cities to start, you know, messing with the plans there. So you may not need to put in as much detail there. Whereas if you've got uh, a lot of infrastructure that are all operating locally towards a single goal then i think detailing how things interact is maybe more important there hmm. okay well how about we illustrate with your example chris uh, and see if that can uh, kind of guide both myself and uh, our listeners to uh, uh yes kind of illustrate uh, how to design infrastructure okay so my concept because this was just literally over the last two days, was the idea that the God Machine, for whatever reason, wants to summon a paradox spirit, um, which it seems kind of mental. Uh, no idea what it would want to use the paradox spirit. It may need to use it uh, in order to bring about the summoning of a particular angel that it wants to create. So the idea is this, it, it want that in order to do this, in order to do this, we need to. Um, it need the the God Machine needs to create um, these four mirrors, which are basically going to be created from ectoplasm, and they're placed in what seems like a very normal building basement, uh, essentially where the God Machine kind of intrudes itself, it where the God Machine itself intrudes more upon reality, and by uh, having the person that's been watching for so long 
step between the mirrors, they and their kind of entire ancestry, their entire bloodline, are eliminated from reality. Now, its choice of person to do this has to be in such a way that they're they're not an obvious person, so it doesn't ruin the timeline as it is. But it's enough of a of a uh, an intrusion onto reality that it causes the coming of this paradox spirit. So I've already said that the, there's these mirrors made of ectoplasm. So the idea is that the god machine needs to have somewhere where ectoplasm is, is gained from and then turned into these mirrors. Uh, it then also has this person that it's been watching uh, who it's kind of specifically selected that it wants to eliminate. And that already then gives us the setup that you've got you've got some some things that need to be created, and then they're going to be created or protected by other things, which then in turn have to be protected, created, and hidden. So let's start with the actual the main making of the uh, mirrors themselves. So that would come under what's known as a logistical infrastructure, and so the idea for this is that um, there's some factory in the outskirts of, I've just chosen Paris as a city, where uh, workers are, are working working there with a lot of machinery that looks, it still looks like machinery, but the way the piping and everything, it kind of looks more organic in nature. Um, and this, it's bringing in uh, you know, large amounts of, I say large amounts, it's bringing in ectoplasm, which is fed through this machinery until at the very end you get these sheets of glass which to begin with um, they the, the sheets of glass which will form the mirrors they, they kind of have the, the moving screaming faces of the dead across them other abnormal things about the machinery of the factory is that it seems like whatever's pumping through the machinery to lubricate it or, or something like that seems to smell like or, 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 or be like inconsistently like amniotic fluids um and then once you have this infrastructure, so you know that it's making these mirrors, you've then got to choose, well, what is the linchpin? What is the thing that if that part of the factory is, is, is damaged or destroyed in some way, that the entire, this entire use of the infrastructure would fall apart and that the God Machine would have to dramatically change its plans? And so the linchpin here, I, I thought, rather simple, is simply the vat where the ectoplasm is kept and it's churned and the churning of this is almost literally by the god machine itself. And so this, this uh, ectoplasm takes the form of, of a luminous green fluid that when it's solidified goes dark. Um, of course, part of, part of this, the control of this very important piece of infrastructure is that there is an angel, which I've simply called the Forge, who oversees the factory and he's uh, a psychopomp. So he is controlling... Uh, and, and maintaining things that are coming into the factory and going out of the factory, or or that the final the final things that are created are protected until they're needed, and he takes them to their to their final uh, site where this strange uh, reality shaping will take place. Um, so, Mike would and Chick, what do you think of that as an initial concept? I uh, definitely think that's a pretty good way of uh, of looking at it. You know, you start off with what the goal is, what the god machine would probably want to achieve, and then you just design your infrastructure around that, and uh, kind of come up with some cool, sort of occult feeling ideas uh, and and objects based on that. Yeah. 
obviously this this crazy kind of you know mirror making factory uh, needs to be protected, and there's two ways you can go about that. You've got concealment infrastructure, which is the which is kind of like the the least intrusive form of infrastructure in in, in uh, the setting, and uh, often the most easily one that's taken over by demons. And also, then you've got defense infrastructure, which obviously is far more um, uh, far more aggressive in what it what it does. So, for concealment infrastructure, I took simply an idea, just thought, I know, let's just go for a classic kind of. Uh, um, Oh, what film am I talking, thinking of now, right now? Um, Inception. Uh, and the idea that the, the way to get to the factory, so the ectoplasm is being brought in, uh, stored in, it's kept in some van, and it's, it's driven in. They get these shipments every so often. And the ectoplasm, uh, the van that's carrying the ectoplasm, has to drive a very particular circuit through the streets of Paris to get to the factory. So the factory could literally be hidden in the very middle of, of Paris, but you, you don't know it's there because, because of the way the road system has been manipulated and the reality has been manipulated that it's folded in on itself in a very non-Euclidean way. So if you know the circuit, you know the way to drive through the streets, then you would be able to get to the factory. But if you don't know that, then no one else knows how to get there. The linchpin for this, of course, is that there is a map stored in City Hall which details um, the true street network of Paris and that area and also has then uh, detailed the shortcut that allows you to get through this kind of like maze to get to the factory. So so, uh, you could then even bypass any of the defense infrastructure that lies along this circuit. so in that way, it kind of takes some ideas from Inception. Uh, it also takes some ideas from kind of the Matrix films where you, you have shortcuts that kind of go around the defense, so a backdoor of sorts. And of course, along this backdoor is mostly the route that, um, that, certain, that the, the workers in the factory take as they go back and forth from the factory and back home to maintain some level of normality in the lives they've been taken from. And also for the angel to move in and out uh, quickly as well. So what do you think of that idea? It's interesting. And I I, I like it. I want to see where else you're gonna go with this. Okay, so along the along the, the <laughs> So okay, so the along the actual route to the uh the factory though is obviously layered with uh defense infrastructure and this is a um I thought camera, CCTV, that seems to be the main form of comes up or they've also got in um, detailed in flowers how the idea that some uh, the police uh, in the area it, the police for a particular defensive structure are armed with uh, tasers and these tasers though are fine against humans but they actually cause aggravated damage against demons so I had to think about it and I thought well it's going along a particular route so why not just speed traps and the speed traps are just simple again simple cameras that are able to detect ether as it flows along them uh as sorry ether as, as demons pass the speed traps and these are all wired to a central office building which is outside of of the the the, the folded network of roads and within that server room is a, a chamber which stores a angel who is of the destroyer type so he's uh he's uh you know essentially the next part of infrastructure which is elimination 
which goes out and he will either, if things go bad, either take out the demons or take out the factory. So again, he would be the linchpin there. Uh, the things I've not no said so far about the infrastructures, and that's a good point to say, is that also the main things to do with the infrastructures is you can detail is how characters will come across and what skills are important or, or how a demon could possibly take over that infrastructure and use it for their own purposes. Or the other important thing, of, uh, important thing about these infrastructures is if they are uh, corrupted or, or, or um, usurped, is, is what would the god machine do? In order to kind of you know get around that and and what its redundancies are and also is where does ether this energy which angels don't use the god machine doesn't use but demons use how does that um store up so in the case of of the, the mirror making factory well there's going to be you know uh waste chemicals from that factory, well, that's going to store ether. That's very simple. With the where the map is stored in City Hall, um, there could just be a uh, the the ether there is is stored uh, literally in all the other maps that are uh, are made based upon this map, which which has been used as the main blueprint for the city network. So all other maps that then reference that and that maintain that concealment infrastructure all those maps have ether embedded into them uh for the defense infrastructure the simple thing is the server room so the server room has to be cooled so there is uh where the coolant is that builds up ether that has to be uh ejected out from the building uh and simply in the heat sink and so again demons can make use of that to gain ether to repower themselves um, I also like the idea that you know within that server room there's this almost like a cryo chamber with some destroyer angel just, and just ready to go on tap. <laughs> and no, uh, and this and this but this room is in a building, and no one knows. It could be kind of like that kind of like thirteenth floor kind of thing where it's a floor that no one knows that's there, um, or it's it's a room that's just folded in that no one notices because the the door is somehow uh, has some sort of arcane uh, geomantric kind of sigil on it, which means people don't see that door unless they can see past the god machine's uh, concealment. So that's kind of like, I think, sets up the factory itself. And then the next stage is, well, they've got to get this ectoplasm. So I thought, okay, Paris has a lot of famous graveyards. Um, so the idea is that uh, the the way that it's been this ectoplasm is being gained is by is through Avernian gates, and so the God Machine has a cult. This cult is mostly led by some angel or managed by some angel. So maybe a guardian angel or maybe a psychopomp. I'm not too sure which would be the best there. And the cult is basically directed to sacrifice someone before the Avernian gate in order to cause. Uh, a burst of death energy, essentially, to cause the gate to open up. The cult, though, sacrificed them in a particular way, which is to use a circular saw uh, to cut their skull open. And what this does is the ghosts burst forth from the Avernian gate. They do this at a particular time at night. So I said midnight, for example, but it could be at a particular time. Uh, something less like midnight, because it has to be like when, you know, literally the digits or the very lights within your within this watch have to sync up because you know the god machine is very machine like in that sense um 
and so the ghosts burst forth from the Avernian Gate. Some of the ghosts obviously get away and they go cause hauntings and, and so forth, which is a good way of bringing in demons into the game if they're, they're seeing all this going on. And it's happening, and these hauntings occurring on a very regular basis. Um, and the body of, of the victim of the sacrifice, uh, though, because they've been killed in a particular way, draws in ghosts so it, it, almost like the ghosts are kind of trapped within that body multiple ghosts are trapped in that body and then the cult has to take that body away liquefy the body and that's what creates this liquefied um liquefied uh, ectoplasm the ectoplasm has to be transported in a van so again that could be another bit of logistical infrastructure because you've got this a particular van that has a box in it to keep the ectoplasm in it has to be cooled and a refrigerant is literally blood and so i thought for the Though for the mining of the ectoplasm, I call it mining, um, the linchpin is the circular saw because it's, it's, it's almost like a, a ritualized creation. Uh, you know, it was created by the angel that oversees all this infrastructure. And the ether builds up in the blood that is spilt from the, the sacrifice. So how's that? I mean, that draws on some ideas from Geist, essentially, uh, you know, with the Avernian Gates and so forth. But I think it pulls in other stuff into demon, which isn't demons and angels, and it's interesting how demons would interact with ghosts. Yeah, no, I think it actually kind of yeah. leads into a, a good point where you can look at uh, how to use infrastructure, but also bring in other aspects of the world of darkness. You know, the uh, yes. the God Machine doesn't need to always have some, like, super being from another dimension being, uh, you know, defending their infrastructure or, or interacting with it. You know, it could be very easy for an angel to coerce, let's say, a vampire uh, to just curate the infrastructure and uh, to do certain things, certain um, uh, create certain uh, chemical symbols or do some uh, particular thaumaturgy, let's say, uh, to keep an infrastructure running. You could definitely see um, an angel almost uh, suggesting, uh, so you've got a, a messenger angel could be suggesting something to architects of the monolith, who are uh, a mm -hmm. group of um, vampires in, in, in Vampire the Requiem, to uh, he, the messenger go, oh, well, you're going to build the buildings like that. Well, why don't you build them like this? And so it's actually an improvement on their uh, their geomantric kind of 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 uh, architecture, but in such a way that it actually benefits the god machine, or at least it hides even more stuff. So even these vampires who are who are who are masonic in nature don't even recognise the occult significance of how their their plans have been altered. That would be really neat, actually. I, I would possibly put that into this idea somewhere. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so the god machine, of course, for all of these things, uh, maybe not for the cult. The cult, I think, maybe is just gained through uh, a messenger angel kind of picking on on people that seem crazy enough to do that. But for the um, for the factory, it needs workers, and so it does this by doing. Uh, it's there's a, a setup where it has um, potential workers are identified using data from the city records. And it has an education facility somewhere. So this is a uh, a building that apparently is is a recruitment building for. You can just make up what you want, really. There, but there's nothing apparently important about it. Uh, and at the centre of this is a uh, a group of of people that have been fused in some way to the 
to uh, a telephone ser- a telephone line connection board or server or something like that. And they're the ones that, that, in a very mechanical way, are cold calling people until it gets a response from someone that will come into this building. And at that building, that person, after they go through certain layers of defense within the building to obviously root out stigmatics and other supernatural entities and, of course, demons, um, if a person passes through enough of that, they are then obviously brain, mind-wipe brainwashed and become a worker for the factory. Though they then act in a way that if when they, they go to the factory, you know, they, they work at the factory like a typical little drone. And when they leave it and return home, they resume their normal lives as if they haven't even left their old job. So again, the, the linchpin within the uh, recruitment center is, is the connection room itself. The ether builds up in the discarded paperwork uh, which is used to maintain uh, the fabrication that these workers' lives still carry on as normal. Um, yeah. And then the next thing, because uh, we want a bit more variety in um, some of our uh, infrastructure, is a piece of elimination infrastructure. Because, of course, these workers, these drones, are going to break down. They are going to realize what they're doing. And the uh the god machine doesn't need them going off and alerting other things to what is going on so the workers uh if they become compromised in some way uh have their obituary written in a paper uh a particular paper before the day before they actually are meant to die and so an angel known as the mugger who lives in a particular uh train on a particular train station in the tube network Paris. Um, he then obviously checks the newspapers from the local. Uh, the mugger basically is kind of like a homeless man uh, who checks the newspapers of the at the nearby uh, news agent. And so the papers come in, and then he checks them. He checks the obituary, and if there is nothing in there that signals to him to kill a certain person, then he doesn't do anything. But then obviously the signal comes up. He goes off and he kills that drone. Of course, what then means the linchpin here is that if that if none none of those papers none of the, no issues of those papers reach the mugger so it's kind of like the mess, the um the psychopomp angel at the factory will pass this obituary through the newspaper as a message and, and and that's the message to this elimination angel so if the this mugger doesn't get that message it means that you know these workers go off and they're now a chaotic uh you know, remain remained uh, residual in the government's plans, and then ether for in this in this case uh, builds up uh, in the train tracks near the near this angel, and potentially the ether could build up in any of the people that survived from uh, from having not been eliminated due to sheer luck because they're a, a chaotic element. So they the ether amongst them could build up to a critical point, which then could cause some sort of backlash uh, through the system. Maybe the mugger angel realizes he should have killed all these people, and the backlash of that ether is what actually causes the mugger, um, this this angel, this destroyer angel, to fall as he realizes he's failed at his task. Um Mike, any more ideas? Check any more ideas or um, any more 
places that you can see you could add on infrastructure and how it would connect to other bits or how to make certain infrastructure a bit weirder because i think sometimes that's that's a difficult thing is is making these things even stranger uh well, making it even stranger i mean i don't know just go check out a david lynch film and just grab random things yeah. from it <laughs> yeah that could work pretty well uh no i'm coming up with a couple ideas just uh kind of like side tangents for like uh interesting game designs um you know the uh if you go back and listen to our super frequency on the denver international airport a lot of that stuff could uh work pretty well as just being this very strange imagery to work into your uh to your game and uh come up with some pretty cool infrastructure uh that would actually be a great place to just set a one shot or something or or one leg of your adventure mm-hmm um the other thing I've not really gone into with this, because it's possibly a bit harder, but it's also meant to be the type of uh, infrastructure that is the least seen, and most demons have never seen, is command and control infrastructure. So this is the idea of, of the prospect of demons spying on or changing the god machine's thoughts. So this is this kind of infrastructure is, is essentially um, kind of like, again, where the god machine kind of intrudes on reality the most and and is the means by which it gains input and output and makes decisions uh so i think there's some opportunity there for very large cosmic scale games of of you know a command control infrastructure could literally be um some some company or or some uh power plant or uh or, or such like it's um it has the opportunity of being something very large or very small it's um it's it's i think it's the most difficult one to work into a game but then it's the least it's the least important to make the game playable and to, and to feel like it has depth when when you've been going over this it it strikes me that uh the god machine sounds a lot like the uh a darker version of the weaver from uh, oh, werewolf yes. Yeah, I think we've made that analogy before. The um, where the the Quashmal, the Quashelim angels in uh, Promethean are agents of change, evolution, chaos, and entropy, because you've got the two types of Quashelim, and they're very different angels uh, to those of the God Machine. And the God Machine is very much, you know, control and order, and and. Uh, you know, I think I think this is this is the kind of stuff which I think would even work. I don't know; it'd be kind of interesting to work into uh, a technocracy game. You know, you could imagine a, a group of of uh, technocrats that have gone nafandi. Um, this would seem like the type of stuff they'd be up to. The uh, special projects division. <laughs> yes, yeah, special projects would do this type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, um, any other ideas where you? Th- you can see on this kind of example uh, where you could add things in what would be interesting what would be another another thread that i've not detailed there which would be that would you would have to uh kind of expand upon and add a further layer to the uh to the mystery oh uh i'm not sure <laughs> you, you seem to have covered quite a bit there um let's see the uh I think there's the, a bit to do with the, the mortal workers. Um, yes, seem to be. I mean, they're they're very important to the plan. I mean, somebody has to go there and you know flip the switches and pour the molds and all that. But they also seem like maybe the weakest link in the chain. Mm-hmm. 
seems like the easiest way for a uh, a demon group to uh, disrupt the machinations would be just to uh, you know cause that bus of workers to break down on a on an important day or something. No way, Chig. You need to get them to unionize. <laughs> no, 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 no. This, it, it's set in France. I mean, they're they already oh, have, they already have unions. unions. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think there's there's some route to expand upon the cult and how uh, the cult is formed and expanded by a messenger angel. Um, and what I would then do with this being used as a setting is uh, I would cr- I would basically try and create another uh, another occult matrix or two uh, just to kind of like add some kind of red herring some maybe well I would say when I say occult matrix I mean ideas for infrastructure that could be existing side by side because then you know you then get the thing where a group of demons could be going like well what why are we always you know we keep they, they realize and there's these cold calls that have been going on and people disappearing and the timing of the disappearances and when people are getting called to work at this particular place and then they and then they they uh, intrude upon it and of course the the recruitment center gets shut down and the god machine has to set up a new one somewhere so uh that would be a messenger angel coming in and and developing up that uh, recruitment center again or there's already another recruitment center because it's already uh, there's a redundancy already built in and so you know an elimination angel comes in and takes out the recruitment center but the the interesting thing would be then if you've got some more networks of infrastructure built up is when demons start trying to work out a group of player demons trying to work out well how does that interrelate with that you know when players see patterns that aren't actually there Mm-hmm. And that w- I think that would be then when things get more interesting because then if there's an infrastructure in, a, in something which they're not intrinsically tied to, like you know they're they're seeking to stop the elimination of this person for whatever reason, or they or they they they've noticed this kind of connect the connection within this set of infrastructure, but then they sp- then they realize there's this other set of infrastructure, and trying to see how it's perceive how it's connected. But that then also means they're intruding on another group of demons who want to take over that infrastructure rather than destroy it. So you get the clash of of, uh, of agendas there, uh, and also the clash of different angel, uh, sorry, demon types and what they they see they want to get out of reality. Um, the other thing I've mostly not noted on here to expand upon is the person that the god machine wants to eliminate has to be eliminated at the precise time. So you can't actually, the god machine can't have that person die before the mirrors are ready. So there is a guardian angel that looks over that person um, who obviously protects that person. And that is, again, uh, there's a whole, you can have a whole linchpin uh, within that. Um, Yeah. So I think that covers some ideas or an example of infrastructure. Do we have anything more to say about it? Mm, nope, not I. But um, yeah, I think I think the I think the I think the infrastructures kind of come out of this quite quickly once you have an idea for an occult matrix. And I think the weirder the occult matrix you can get, 
the better the 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 layers of infrastructure you will get because i think the idea of of this factory making mirrors from ectoplasm is interesting but how much more weirder can you get with what the god machine is 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 making or what it's bringing in like is it harvesting people is it is it fueling some beating heart at the center of some nuclear power plant uh is it is it uh is it doing is it gestating uh an angel within the the within the bowels of a nuclear promethean held within the center of some underground facility uh and then of course you've got stigmatic so obviously people that have maybe encountered these infrastructure and somehow become changed Okay, um, so moving on from that, I mean, a big portion of, you know, a good chapter of Flowers of Hell covers infrastructure and using it and taking it over and, and building agencies, which are, you know, the groups of, of uh, essentially you can say like covenants uh, within, um, within uh, Vampire that kind of fulfill that kind of role. So in chapter three, we get about uh, embeds and exploits. So again, we get another big grab bag of more powers and and more things a demon can do. We get more demonic uh, form abilities. So those aren't exploits and they aren't embeds of things that naturally kind of occur for demons. And then we get uh, about embeds. So embeds are, are built-in hacks within reality. And they are, they are. I think they're, they're very different to uh, innate. They're, they're really different in nature to what mages do. Mages, mages are hackers within the setting, whereas whereas demons already come from the system, and so they already know how to bend the system. They also know what back doors there are. So embeds are more like back doors, and they aren't easily learned. So the whole point is that you can't really teach embeds through tomes. They can't be written down and, you know, follow a recipe. The things that have to be kind of uh, shown uh, to be used and that by showing how they're used, you slowly nudge a demon to learn that embed. Um, and the important thing why I'm, going, why I'm bringing up embeds in particular here is that embeds are tied to the cipher. So the cipher is this kind of this kernel of, of knowledge that when a demon interlinks four four of the correct embeds that it's learned together, uh, each connection between its embeds creates an interlock. You then it then reveals this final secret of the cipher, which uh, which gives the demon some form of insight into its descent. Um, Mike, I'm going to go back to you. So what's your opinion of the cipher from what you know already from Demon Descent? And then I'll expand a bit on what's said in Flowers of Hell, hopefully. Uh, I thought you were going to be explaining the cipher to me because I don't know oh, okay, much about okay. it. Okay, I will go through. So uh, in Flowers of Hell, they, they go through that the, the cipher is uh, kind of has a... is given some mystical importance by some demons, other demons don't see it as that they see it. It's just some sort of mechanical thing you have to, to work out and once you do, as a demon in, in some way you operate more efficiently, more powerfully. Um, and 
so the the important thing is that the cipher is is a final secret that is in some way that is, is in no way actually tied to the god machine so the god machine does not determine the cipher for a demon nor does it determine the interlocks between the embeds so this is this is i would say is an element of of chaos that that becomes part of a demon upon its fall which the god machine did not put into the demon so it's the it's it's something from outside of the system and it's maybe the thing that makes the the demon uh, give it sense of freedom and uh, autonomy, because in some respects it's very similar then to say Promethean, where you have milestones. It's it's those unanswered questions that drive you to to explore the world, to explore the the reality they're in. Um, so here's kind of like some other things that are said in Flowers of Hell. Um, Mechanically minded demons uh, liken it to the process of combining simple machines into more complex device and, uh, and don't see it, therefore, as a superstitious thing. Uh, they see the cipher as being sort of like uh, an engine, which obviously is operated by various subparts. So obviously you have the gearbox, you have... Uh, you have the um, spark plugs and all that type of stuff, and when, but but it is something that is greater than its sum of parts, and I think that's the important thing is that 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 the cipher allows something greater than the embeds that are used to create it. Um, the thing with the cipher is that the final secret that it reveals is not the end game for the demons. So it's not the end of the game for your demon in the same way that, you know, uh, getting the final milestones for your Promethean means that you become human. That's kind of a very end game scenario. And the final secret doesn't necessarily have to be personal to the character. Um, so these are all, they're all meant to be things that are kind of existential in nature that that are asking things about the reality that the demon inhabits uh, and then the key then you have is the, the bit to that is that interlocks of power are new powers that are generated by embeds uh, as they as a demon de a demon in the game starts with at least one embed and as it learns more it can see if the the uh, embeds interlock and that means they have to test that interlocking. So they have to find the, the right key, so the key is something, which determines whether these, these embeds can interlock together. And I think that's where the, uh, the problem for people maybe with demon is, is, is coming up with what, what are the keys, what are the, the mystical insight, what is the, the occult knowledge that leads to uh, creating believable keys that then lead on to finding the right embeds, which allows them to get the interlock, which is a new power, and then learning the new key, which gets them the next interlock, and then reveals the final secret and what that is. I think these are very... Uh, you want to, as a, as a storyteller, give some uh, deeper, meaningful kind of play experience for your players, and therefore writing evocative and interesting uh, 
keys and 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 a cipher i think is the main difficulty there okay so i'm I'm sorry i hate to interrupt but so to complete my my little set say i'm 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 a demon i i I learn i I start gameplay with this one embed yeah that's right What, what if i throughout the course of the game just never decide to learn the second embed then you'll never get like, to your it, it never it never comes up in, in yeah. play. It's it's I need to learn whatever how to unlock doors with, you know, from thirty paces or whatever the next embed is, and I never come across a door that's locked. Um Yeah, I mean that's maybe a bit kind of Right. It's, 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 far, it's a, but... a ridiculous it's just an example. Just Yeah, know. but I but um yeah, you can't you can't get to your cipher unless you learn more embeds. So you have to be obviously then to a degree you have to uh, as a storyteller if you've con- the way you construct the keys is to um, you know, in such a way to push the players to maybe explore things that their characters have not done yet, or that they're all if you kind of design them with the players is, is a way that you therefore help the player explore things that they want to explore with that character. Hmm. I mean, much like, um, much like Galconda and Vampire, Transcendence and Wraith, or maybe even Milestones and Promethean, they don't actually have to be part of your game. It's very easy for uh, that to uh, be kind of a, a side system that you, you don't explore in your story, or maybe only one character really uh, furthers that. So, um Definitely for smaller games, ciphers don't really have to be something that you pay too much attention to. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. So the there's um, I mean the actual the the I would say that in in Flowers of Hell, it doesn't really to me uh, expand upon the cipher that much more than what's already in the core book. Which I think is is a bit of a disappointment because I think they could have done a, a more of a list of kind of like interesting kind of occult secrets or you know gnosis that you could you could use to kind of drive uh, the players forward. Um, so that's kind of disappointing there. I think it's still kind of a very difficult uh, a difficult kind of topic for um, storytellers to kind of approach simply because if you want to give that kind of play experience it's quite difficult for like more than say three players to come up with individual keys and individual interlocks and individual ciphers that's a lot of uh, groundwork to be done Hmm. Uh, that's a lot of different directions to push your your characters in too over the course of a campaign but i think we're coming up with an idea right here chris what about a group cipher could you have a uh, a what what's the name of a, a demon group again? A ring, a ring of of demons, all uh, have the uh, same cipher or something very very similar, uh, which could be one of the reasons why they're all working together. Um, mm, I think demon gets across the idea that they that demons don't ha- no demon has the same cipher. Oh. I was. I thought you were going to get at more of an idea that the demons themselves create an interlock between each other for a grand cipher. Yeah, yeah, let's go with that one. Yeah, that would be interesting. Um, the other things that are in Flowers Hollow, I'll just 
go across, they uh, give integrity and breaking points and new merits and, and, and more stuff so you can actually uh, play properly um, uh, a stigmatic because, of course, they're still human. So they have uh, particular uh, breaking points um, and uh, things to cover there. And that's pretty much the, the whole of that book. I mean, I'm not going to go over, like, all the embeds and all the powers there because there's just there's too much. There's too much. I mean, we already know that the embeds and exploits and demons, some of them are 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 kind of crazy. Like, what I'm reading right now, just for me, uh, a particular embed called Fractal Reality. Um, so the embed speeds... Up a timeline and causes infrequent things to reoccur more quickly uh, that they uh, than they might otherwise. So this means that you can you can essentially just cause something that you want to happen to happen more frequently and then take advantage of that anomalous uh, you know chance. Um, so there's various kind of just grand effects in there that you can you can get. But as always, like I think. Um, those are the least interesting parts of the book is reading a big list of powers um, when you know players can just trawl through that and see what's interesting. Um, so I think Files of Hell is useful because, um, as, as I said, it, it uh, also details how to develop agencies and how to build your ring uh, and how players fit together. So in that way, it's a bit like coteries for Vampire the Requiem because often it's difficult to know why you know, uh, these types of demons would work together. Uh, you know, when you've got an Inquisitor and you've got uh, another type of demon that wants to rejoin the God Machine and all that. So it's, um, it's a good, it's, it's a useful book, um, though I don't think it's fully kind of, as I don't think it's fully made detailing the cipher easier. Though that might be something I might return to because um, I've downloaded, uh, I've got, finally downloaded the other um, PDFs I got from the Kickstarter, so uh, the Seattle book and uh, Demon Interface and Demon Seeds, so I may have a look at that in the near future and we'll come back to Demon uh, uh, and talk about ciphers. Maybe maybe I might run something by that point. <laughs> we'll see. My uh, New Year is quite hectic, um, so we'll see what happens with that. Anything else? No, I think that's it. Uh, is that pretty much everything that uh, Flowers of Hell covers? Yeah, it's just a big grab bag of, of stuff for um, uh, as a player's guide about how to play your demons more. Nice. All right, I like it. Cool. Well, I think that's pretty much it for this uh, Winter Solstice episode of uh, Darker Days Radio. Uh, if you want to uh, get in contact with us, uh, you can definitely send us an email over at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Or you can uh, get in contact with us at uh, our G+, Google Plus community. Uh, just search for Darker Days Radio there. Or you can go onto Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash darkerdaysradio. And uh, I think that's pretty much it. So, uh, Chris, Chig, thank you as usual. And uh, everyone, thanks for listening and have a good night. See ya. Enjoy your night, guys.